Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to episode 185 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for joining me today and especially to those of you on Patreon who are watching me record this podcast live. I hope you enjoy it. Today's story spans mainland Europe, the US and of course the UK and covers at least two murders but probably more. Firstly a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon but especially this week's new members of this exclusive club. That is Wilfred Aras Arazatnam, Dave Cox, Diane Burns, Jason Abercrombie, Susan McKenzie, Lauren Brown, Lucky Jean, welcome back, Sue Richards, Jenny Geddes, Lee Sullivan, Chantal Wilson, and Alison FR, who has increased her support. Thank you all so much, I so appreciate it. And please do check out my website at uktruecrime.com. Among the very average articles written by me is a really interesting piece by O'Sheen, who has created a podcast just on cases in Northern Ireland called The Troubles. Take a look at the article, and why not take a listen to the show too? I'm delighted that this podcast is sponsored by Tales.com. Every dog is unique, that's why at Tales.com, every dog gets a tasty recipe that's made just for them out of a million combinations. Delivered to your door each month, easy for you and perfect for your dog. I feed my two Dalmatians Tales.com food, as it's not just good nutrition, it's tailored nutrition. At Tales.com, you tell them all about your dog and they make a tailor-made recipe to match your dog's tastes, fitness levels and health needs exactly. From a million combinations, they create recipes which cater for chicken lovers, fish fanatics, sensitive stomachs and everything in between. And my two love it. In particular, Little Dizzy Rascal has a sensitive tummy and Tales.com helps him with a unique recipe that's balanced with prebiotics and the right kinds of fibre. I'm with Tails.com for the long term to ensure my two dogs get the maximum benefit from their tailored nutrition. And no more struggling around the shop trying to find what you're looking for and hauling it into the boot of your car. It's delivered to your door. Just go to Tails.com slash a UK true crime and tell them all about your dog for 75% off your first box. That is Tails.com slash a UK true crime and tell them all about your dog for 75% off your first box. The show is also sponsored by Witchy Woo Kitchen. Rock on over to Witchy Woo to discover a whole range of crystals and magic, from amethyst to zoocytes. There are ready-to-rock packs or private consults available. Interested? Contact owner Karen on Facebook at facebook forward slash Witchy Woo Kitchen. If you mention Stay Classy, you will get 10% off your order. So please just head to Facebook and search Witchy, that's W-I-T-C-H-Y, Woo, W-O-O, Kitchen. Let's set some context by taking a look at the music we were listening to, or not, when the events at the very start of this podcast occurred. Top of the UK charts was Adamski with Killer. One of my fave bands at the time, Soul to Soul, were at number five with A Dream's A Dream. Did you like those? 
In the US, Sinead O'Connor was in the top spot with the song written by the legend Prince. Nothing compares to you. And in Australia, the top selling album this year was The Hair. Sorry, The Voice. John Farnham with Chain Reaction, holding off three tenors in concerts. In the news this month, Portrait of Dr. Gachet by Vincent van Gogh, sold for $82.5 million. The Bank of China in Hong Kong opened as the first super tall skyscraper outside the US. Microsoft released Windows version 3.0. And thirsty Boris Yeltsin was elected President of the Russian Republic. And in the UK, inflation was at 9.4%, the highest level for eight years. Let's hope we don't see similar again. Did you guess the month and year? It was May 1990. These were great days for me, having the time of my life, living in beautiful Sydney, Australia. So on to today's story. Years later, in her book referenced in the show notes, Australian Delia Barmer, a nurse at the Royal Free Hospital, described the first time she met John Sweeney. During the spring bank holiday of 1991, at a pub in Camden Town, North London, she said, I was bored, alone, the Hawley Arms had the best jukebox and I liked people watching. I think now that he smelled me, there was something there he could get into. Early on there were flowers, he rang me when he said he would and he fixed her window. I thought of him as a bohemian, like me he travelled a lot. He seemed so nice and he tended to stutter. But now I know it is all a big show. He was playing his game and I was stupid because I was alone. I thought of him as a bohemian, like me he travelled a lot. He seemed so nice and tended to stutter. But now I know it was all just a big show. He was playing his game and I was stupid because I was alone. He'd soon moved into Delia's flat, but it didn't take for long to realise that this wasn't all going to be champagne, flowers and happy ever after. He became increasingly aggressive and controlling, all in stages. He began with breaking some of Delia's stuff and progressed to stealing her money. I should have known something was wrong, but I'm too soft and trusting. I'd never come across anything like it before, she said. And there were other scary behaviours she witnessed that raised the red flag. He once filled a jar with live crickets and kept it in my kitchen for a few days, she recalled. I found it annoying and distasteful, so I asked why he had done it. Without a flicker of emotion, he said, it's an experiment. I pull their legs off with tweezers to see what they do. It horrified me, but he said casually, it's all right, they don't feel anything. They can live without them. Once I saw what he was like, I tried to get rid of him. He kept saying he would go, but I knew he wouldn't. I thought I should go, but knew I had to do it carefully or else I could end up in worse trouble. The police just saw me as a domestic violence victim. I knew that a restraining order wouldn't work on John and it would put me in more danger. Sweeney eventually left and Delia changed the locks, but this wasn't enough to stop Sweeney. He broke in through her bathroom window, tied her to the bed and held a gun to her head. Delia was of course terrified for her life during the ordeal. She said, It was as if he could read my thoughts. I knew not to scream. There was no telling what he might do. He had this evil look in his eyes. He warned me not to scream or he'd cut the tongue from my mouth. He was still ranting and raving and waving a gun and knife around when he looked down and said, I suppose you wonder what happened to my American girlfriend, Melissa. I was surprised that he brought her up, but he went on to tell me how they were in Amsterdam and he had caught her in a room with two German men. He said that he'd killed them all 
and sat with their bodies for three days, wondering what to do next. My heart was thumping as he blurted out, I cut up their bodies, put them in bags and threw them in the canal. Eventually the ordeal was over and Sweeney left. Delia found the courage to report Sweeney for this attack and he was arrested and taken to Pentonville Prison, but not for long as he was soon released on bail. Knowing what he was like, Delia begged the authorities not to let him go. She told them about the woman he claimed to have murdered and also showed them some horrific violent drawings he left at her flat. This wasn't a man who should be loose on the streets. But Delia didn't think she'd been taken seriously, and she was reassured that she wouldn't see him again. Then as today, the establishment always know best, right? And although Delia was promised he wouldn't come for her, of course he did. The nightmare came true on the 22nd of December, when she returned home from work one day to find him there. Delia takes up the story of what happened next. That particular day was the shortest and darkest of the year and the street was deathly quiet with no one around. Carrying my bike, I walked up the stairs to my front door. I got about midway up when John's face appeared with this caustic grin and he said, you didn't expect to see me here. I didn't scream. I knew better than to do that because it just spurred him on. He reached over and picked up an axe he'd hidden on a neighbour's steps and hit me across the head with the wooden handle. I staggered forward and sat on the top step, dazed from the blow. But he swung again with the handle and hit me on my left forearm. I shouted as loud as I could for him to go away, but he dropped the axe and fetched an old rusty knife from his pocket. Instinctively, I kicked out, which made him topple down a step, grab my bike and placed it on top of me. John picked up the axe and went for me again, this time with a sharpened end, but luckily the metal frame of the bike took the force. He returned to the 12-inch knife and stabbed me through my right breast and into my lung and then stabbed my right thigh. He then picked up the axe for a third time and smashed it against my left hand, chopping off my little finger. I saw it fly through the air towards the next door's house. But before the attack could continue, a neighbour's son came to her rescue, hitting Sweeney with a baseball bat. He'd heard me shouting and the axe clanging on the metal bike frame, she said. The police arrived, but John was of course long gone. When I gained consciousness this time, the serious crime squad came, but it was a big joke. He was gone. And although Delia lost a finger in the attack and suffered scars to her chest and head, much more significant than this was the psychological damage caused. Delia never felt safe again. And this was made worse by Sweeney not being immediately captured. And every day he was at large, Delia feared for her life. He remained on the run across Europe for six years using disguises and aliases to avoid captures by the authorities. So just who was John Sweeney? Sweeney was born in October 1956 in Kirkdale, Liverpool and spent his early years with his mum in Skelmersdale as a carpenter and joiner. He headed off to Europe in 1976 and on his return he married Anne Bramley. They divorced just three years later in 1979, but by 1981 had remarried and went on to have two children. Sweeney was already being violent to his wife, and in 1982 he appeared in court having threatened her. When officers investigated, they found him the hammer and an axe in the couple's walk-in wardrobe, waiting for his wife to return home. Sweeney was bound over to keep the peace, 
but this was the end of the relationship and they divorced later that year. The Christmas straight after the attack on Delia, Sweeney went to the home of his ex-wife Anne Bramley in Northampton, where he told her he'd done something really bad which would make her hair stand on end, and he confessed that he killed three people. Just over a week later, he wrote to detectives looking for him, describing Delia as an evil witch, and using his words carefully, he said it was an accident. Brilliant, John. He arrived back from the continent to London in 1995, staying in a bedsit near Finsbury Park, North London, under a false identity. Just like now, London is a great place to lose yourself. Sweeney was finally arrested at a building site in central London in 2001, just metres from the Old Bailey. He was caught by good old-fashioned police work when he was spotted by a police officer. When he was captured, he was actually reaching for his carpentry box, which contains a revolver. There was a struggle, and officers overpowered him, with the detective leading the operation, saying that in his view, Sweeney would not have been taken alive if he had known that they were onto him. When quizzed about his life on the run, Sweeney told detectives that his life in London was just working on building sites as a carpenter during the day and smoking cannabis and drinking beer alone at home at night. But what detectives found at his bedsit was shocking. But what detectives found at his bedsit was shocking. They found a number of firearms and ammunition. They also found what could be described as a rape or a murder kit, a brown wig, an axe, a machete, bin liners, cable ties and a bamboo garrote. His warped artwork was also there. Take a look online, it's terrifying stuff. And there were notes about the life he'd led on the run, including this one. On the wrong side of the law, on the wild side of life with nothing left to lose. No escape from the past, watching for the police down every street. Any day could be my last. It gets up my nose being on my toes. If I go for a newspaper or a pint of milk, I'm dressed to kill. It ain't much fun being married to a gun, but misery or pleasure, nothing's forever. I think it's fair to say that Shakespeare he wasn't. A petrified Delia, quite understandably, wanted nothing more to do with Sweeney and did not want to testify. She just wanted it all to go away. She said, I was not brave. I was angry at the system and I knew I'd be interrogated, that the hell wouldn't end. Sweeney did face trial for the crime and was given four life sentences for Delia's attempted murder. When convicted in 2001, he resisted being taken to the cells in the Old Bailey after telling the jurors, it's a fucking kangaroo court, I didn't expect nothing else, you're a fucking disgrace. And detectives knew this wasn't his only crime. There were 200 disturbing poems, paintings and pictures, strongly suggesting links to other murders. It was just a question of proving it. In particular, they strongly suggested he had killed two ex-girlfriends. Both had gone missing whilst they were dating him. One was Melissa Halstead from Ohio in the US. Beautiful and stylish, Melissa had been signed up for the prestigious Ford Model Agency in New York when she was a teenager and had worked for other top agencies. In May 1990, Melissa's mutilated body, her hands and her head were missing, was found in a canal in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. A full DNA profile for the unidentified remains was only added to the Dutch databanks on the 12th of June 2007. Melissa's identity was confirmed in January 2008, and a new investigation started, 
which led them straight to John Sweeney. Melissa was a free spirit, trying to make a living in the UK as a freelance photographer. She was following her dreams. After meeting Sweeney, the couple lived together in a shared house in Stoke Newington, North London. Again, Sweeney was violent, being arrested three times following Melissa complaining of domestic violence. In September 1987, he was fined £5 for assault after hitting Melissa in the face with a stool at her home. Later that year, he picked up another £5 fine for kicking her in the legs. And in April the following year, following another violent incident, he was bound over to keep the peace. One time he was heard shouting at Melissa, Who do you think you are? I'm the one who says what you can and can't do. As with all Sweeney's relationships, it was everything about control. Melissa was fully aware of just what he was capable of, and her sister later said, Melissa told me that if she ever went missing, that John Sweeney would have killed her. In October 1988, Melissa was deported for working in the UK without a permit, and headed across the channel to Vienna, Austria. But jealous Sweeney wasn't prepared to let her go. He broke into her flat in Austria and tied up her flatmate as he searched the place for any evidence of Melissa having a new partner. Melissa did eventually persuade him to leave and she even bought him a ticket to Amsterdam that he was back days later and after she let him into her flat, he attacked her with a hammer, fracturing her skull. This time, she went to the police. Melissa told the police, He'd already threatened me in London with a knife because he said I was going to leave him and he couldn't cope. Then, I only ever wanted to help him and have only ever seen the good in him. Now I know he must have really hated me. Sweeney, of course, had a different take on the incident, saying the attack had just been an emotional act after he surprised her in Austria. In court, Melissa asked the judge to take pity on Sweeney and he got off with a suspended 12-month prison sentence and a 10-year deportation order. Her sister was aghast and said, I asked her if she'd lost her frigging mind. I could not understand why she would release someone from prison that had already beaten with a hammer. She said that John had cried and begged her, and he'd no one else and that he was sorry, and that he would leave her alone if she would get him out one last time. And incredibly, the couple was soon back together, heading to Germany and then to the Netherlands. It was the following year that Melissa disappeared from her flat in Amsterdam and Sweeney stayed in the city where he continued to work as a carpenter until he returned to the UK in Christmas 1990. And it wasn't long after this that he began his relationship with Delia Barmer. Sweeney was quizzed about Melissa's disappearance after attacking Delia, especially after how he had boasted to Delia about how he had killed Melissa after finding her in bed with two German men and then cutting them all up and disposing of all the bodies in a canal. But there wasn't enough evidence to bring charges. The other girlfriend of Sweeney's who had gone missing was Paula Fields. Paula was last seen at 9.30am on December 15, 2000, after visiting Sweeney's bedsit in North London, and her body was not discovered until February 2001, when boys out fishing in the Regent's Canal saw suspicious bags in the water. Police recovered the bags and inside were bricks to weigh the bags down and the remains of Paula Fields. Gruesomely, her feet, hands and head were missing and her body had been cut into ten different pieces and placed into six different bags. 
Paula had arrived in Highbury, North London, from Liverpool in 1998, with two of her three sons, where she worked in a laundrette. But as we know, life can be tough, and Paula struggled. Her life deteriorated further after her sons were taken into care in 2000, as a consequence of her chaotic lifestyle. By this time, as well as dating John Sweeney, she was selling sex, and had developed an addiction to that drug that just won't let go, crack. On December the 13th, her niece Melissa Fields met Sweeney, who at that time was calling himself Joe. She later recalled the creepy pictures of women along his bedroom walls. She could see the relationship was volatile, with Sweeney complaining that Paula stole from him, and she saw herself how aggressively he shouted at Paula after he suspected her of taking his mobile phone. When detectives investigated Paula's disappearance, a neighbour claimed he was woken up in the early hours of the morning, around the time she went missing, by a male voice angrily screaming and shouting, and a female responding with, no, no, no. Were these Paula's last moments alive? Detectives believe that Sweeney may have killed Paula after she discovered his true identity. Sweeney moved house shortly afterwards, and it was a month after this when Sweeney was spotted by the policeman at the building site and arrested. By April 2010, detectives had enough information to bring charges, and Sweeney was taken from Gartree Prison in Leicestershire, questioned further, and eventually charged with the murders of Melissa and Paula on April 26th that year. At his trial, the sisters and nieces of Paula had to listen as he continually peddled his lies to the jury. He claimed Paula could have been killed by the Camden Ripper, Anthony Hardy, who was jailed for life in 2003 for the murder of three sex workers. Whilst Melissa could have fallen victim to Frank Gust, a German who killed four women in the 90s. One of the most disturbing aspects of his trial was his clear obsession with murder in his drawings and wood carvings, found at his flat and later in his prison cell. One he had titled Scalp Hunter, and it shows him as a satanic figure with a bloody axe tucked into his belt line and a lock of hair hanging from its blade. It refers to the attack on Delia, stating the date, 1294, and the words, Came too late, stayed too long. He had written, I will live and die as I choose. I don't believe religion or the fucking law. There are no rules. My life's an open door. On the rear, he had written, inspired by and dedicated especially to Delia. May you die in pain. Sweeney's name and date of birth are written along the top of the axe, along with the words, made in Liverpool. Another one was called Cornered Cockroach, and it showed Delia's face on an upturned cockroach's body with a huge military boot ready to stamp her inches above it. On the sole of the boot is written Satan's number, 666 and the words may you never die till I kill you. Sweeney laughed these off as just his black sense of humour and said they had nothing to do with his plans for Delia. And there was more art around Melissa. In One Man Band he painted her gravestone with the inscription R.I.P. Melissa born on the 12th of September 56. The word died was followed by a dash. He also wrote of Melissa on the back of a lottery scratch card saying, Poor old Melissa, chopped her up in bits, food to feed the fish, Amsterdam was the pits. A second poem read, Melissa, we met all of a sudden in London, trouble with the law, England no more. 
She took my prick all the way, played catch me if you can down in Milan. A bad trip in Vienna, blood spilled. Amsterdam was not much better, love killed. When I'm dead and gone, maybe we will be as one. He also showed his hatred of the police. In his bedroom was a picture of a large Christmas tree with a toilet roll as the star and policeman baubles dangling by their necks from the branches. At the bottom of the tree, one of the officers is being stabbed by a pencil and there are blood droplets coming from the wound. Other pictures he's written over with phrases such as I'm not really prejudiced against the police. I hate them all equally. And stabbed them up the arse on ejaculation. Again, Sweeney had an explanation, saying it was all nonsense and done when he was taking drugs, including LSD and cannabis, saying, It's all bullshit. It's all drunken tosh. I was stoned out of my head when I did this. It's all just nonsense. Sweeney was, of course, found guilty by the jury and given a whole life sentence, meaning he would die in jail. In typical cowardly fashion, he declined to come to court to hear the judge make his concluding comments. He said, These were terrible, wicked crimes. The heads of the victims having been removed, it's impossible to be certain how they were killed. The mutilation of the bodies is a serious aggravating feature of the murders. Not only does it reveal the cold-blooded nature of the killer, but it has added greatly to the distress of the families to know that parts of the bodies of their loved ones have never been recovered. The method of disposal of the bodies demonstrates there was a substantial amount of planning which went into the killings. Why the killings occurred, I cannot be sure, but I am satisfied that this defendant is controlling in his relationships with women, and chillingly, that control extends to deciding whether they should live or die. I have no doubt that the seriousness of these offences is exceptionally high, and a whole life order is the appropriate sentence. After the trial, a statement read by a sister of Paula said that the two years in the run-up to her death were just a small part of her life. For 29 years, Paula was a normal girl, a loving mum, daughter, sister and an aunt. We know she is never coming back and we never said goodbye. So true, and I wish I could have found more information to bring to life more about Paula's personality. She absolutely should not be just defined as we so often read about her as just a victim. Melissa's family too described her as an intelligent and very attractive young woman who left the US to seek her fortune. The family said they'd been in agony when she went missing for years and were destroyed when her remains were identified. The family's hope for the future was that John Sweeney will never be allowed free to carry out such crimes again. But were there other victims of John Sweeney? The Met Police said that after the trial, they were still trying to trace three unidentified women who had not been seen for years, who may have been ex-girlfriends of Sweeney. Two were mentioned by Sweeney himself in the police interview. One was a Brazilian called Arani, who frequented pubs and restaurants in Highbury and Holloway Road in North London in 1996 or 1997 and could have worked in kitchens as a cleaner. The second woman is thought to be a Colombian called Maria, who was living and working in or maybe just enjoyed spending times in pubs around the Finsbury Park area in 1997 and 1998. There was a third woman of interest called Sue from Derbyshire in her late 20s, early 30s, who was also a regular in his haunts in North London, and detectives believed she was attending a nursing college and went to Switzerland to work. And Dutch police are also believed to be investigating claims 
that Sweeney killed two German men who he claimed to have caught having affairs with Melissa. And you would imagine there are plenty more. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Sweeney was undoubtedly a controlling, violent and cruel man. Not ever being released from prison is the right thing, but they do perhaps spare a thought for his children and how they have dealt with the reality of who their dad is. The more I hear about him, the more I'm struck not just by his sheer cruelty, but his arrogance. He never expected to be caught. Our thoughts, of course, go out to the friends and families of Delia, Paula and Melissa. Three women who met Sweeney when they were at their most vulnerable. They all suffered terribly, and Melissa and Paula paid the ultimate price. And just how many others died at the hands of John Sweeney? I doubt that we will ever know. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story or any aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group and join over 35,000 of us. Please do check the website at uktruecrime.com and to support the show, head to patreon.com slash uktruecrime. Where for the price of a coronavirus face mask, you can listen to 42 full-length bonus episodes, access a patron-only Facebook group, see all my podcast stats and loads of other exclusive content. You can also listen to all the fun of the next live recording next month. And to all my supporters on Patreon watching this, I hope you've enjoyed it. Well, on that bombshell of incompetence, it's time for me to say farewell for this week. So thank you again so much for listening. And remember, we are all in this together. We are in together. We're in it together. Okay? (laughs) Yeah, right. And I hope you'll join me again next week. So until then, please do take it easy. And most of all, do stay classy. Cheerio. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.